Hacker Puppet Radio, everyone. My name is Soak. Python Programming 101 Part 3. First up, I received some feedback, mostly saying good work, so thank everyone who said that. I'm glad people seem to be enjoying this. I also got a couple of things I need to mention. Ren Golfer mentioned something I need to say in that when I talked about the print command, I used quotes to surround the text, so print, open brackets, quotes, hello, quotes, close brackets. However, he correctly reminded me that you can use apostrophes to surround the text instead of quotes, e.g. print, open brackets, apostrophe, hello, apostrophe, close brackets. And that says you haven't used the escape character if you have quotes in the text. This comes in handy when doing web programming where everything seems to need quotes around it and using forward slash all the time would be a pain in the rear. So thank you, RG, for that. He also mentioned that in Ubuntu, if you apt get Python, you get a release candidate, Python 3.0 RC1. Now, this shouldn't actually change that much, but it is something to be aware of. I should have checked that myself, and I didn't, so I apologise to everyone for that. Hopefully this won't cause any major problems. If it does, I may have to revisit some of the commands if they change, but I can't imagine they would change them. TK009 also gave feedback. He said that he had to add pound or hash or octothorpe exclamation mark forward slash usr forward slash bin forward slash python i.e. the path to python on his machine to the top of the script and to change the permissions so that it was executable. I think I need to clarify how to run the scripts. I was going to come to this in a bit but now it seems a good time to mention it. I was running everything through Python itself by running Python 3.0 and then the script name. This means you can write pure Python code and you don't need to worry about the shebang at the beginning. If you want to make a script that can run itself though, you do need to do the shebang, that's the octothorpe exclamation mark, on the first line and then where Python can be found, like the slash user slash bin slash Python I mentioned earlier. If you do that you can then make the script executable and then you can run it like a bash script or any other script. Because I was calling Python first, that was the executing program, and so you didn't need to change the script permissions. I was going to mention this when we got to bigger programs. I didn't really see the need to confuse everyone in the first real programming lesson, so I hadn't mentioned this. But if anyone was wondering why they were having this issue, that is why. Also, because we are currently writing really simple programs, I thought it was easier just to run through Python. I will at least hopefully remember, to remind you of this later once we get into bigger, more useful programs that you may actually want to run more than once. That's it for the feedback, so let's continue. Loops. If you need a program to print out the number 1 onto the screen, you can simply say print 1. If you wanted it to print out 1 to 5, you could say print 1, print 2, print 3, print 4 and print 5. But what if you wanted to print out the numbers from 1 to 100, or 1000? it would be silly to do a thousand print statements. And that's what loops are for. You take one or more identical or nearly identical lines of code and loop around it to repeat them without having to type tons more code. There are three different types of loops in most languages, although Python does only have the first two for now. Type 1, a for loop, that's F-O-R, not F-O-U-R, runs a specific number of times. For some variable, number that is, from start to finish then run the code that many times. Some languages do allow you to amend the variable in the middle, but this really isn't generally a good idea because it will confuse you when reading the code if you see that it's meant to run for 10 times and it doesn't, and you're trying to figure out why. 
There may be a few times when it is actually worthwhile doing, although I can't think of any off the top of my head, but generally you really don't want to if you can help it. Not because the compiler will get confused, but because you will. If you want to loop a specific number of times, do this. If not, try the second type. Actually, I have just thought of a reason when I have done it, when you've got an error and you just want to basically get straight out and you set it to be passed just to finish the loop. There are other ways of doing error handling, depending on the programming language, but that might be the simplest way. But like I said, if you want to loop a specific number of times, do a for loop. If not, try the second type. Type 2. A while loop runs while something is true. While variable is under 10, do something. A few points on this. You have to change the variable in the loop. Otherwise, you will get stuck in an infinite loop. While x is under 10, print out x. If x never changes, if it's under 10, when it enters the loop, it will repeat forever. This is, of course, bad, so always make sure you change the variable within the loop. My tip is to make the last line of the loop be the line that increments the variable. That way it's easy to check when looking at the code again. It also helps in other ways, which we'll see in a moment. Also, a while loop may not ever run if the condition isn't true. This can be very useful for error checking, for example. While the input is bad, keep asking for more input. Also, you should think about what you're checking for. If you want to count from 1 to 10 and have while x is not equal to 10 loop going, if for any weird reason x never makes it to be exactly 10, then you're stuck in an infinite loop again. I would actually put while x is less than 10 to run until x is 10 or more, because if for some reason x skips to 11, it doesn't matter, the loop will still exit. This can be a problem when you write more complicated loops. Type 3. The final type of loop isn't actually in Python yet. There are discussions on the dev mailing lists about it, though. It is a while loop, but it checks at the end of the loop, not the start. It is almost identical, except that a while loop may not ever run, but this type will run once or more. I mention this in case you ever look into other languages and wonder what it is. It can be called the do while or loop while in various languages, with the loop itself between the two words or multiple lines, of course. This loop checks at the end, not the start, and can be known as the do while, as opposed to a while do loop, which would be the previous type, a while loop. I'm going to stop this tutorial just for a moment and complain. I couldn't spot any definitive documentation for Python 3.0 on the python.org official website mentioning this third type of loop, except for a, a few dev chats that I mentioned before. And they mentioned that they wanted it a year or so ago. So I figured I could quickly go into hash python or freenode, ask, get a quick answer, and then continue. Well, suffice it to say, I don't think I will ever go back into that room. I asked the question, nicely I thought. The response I got was basically RTFM. In fact, the guy spent a while explaining why I should RTFM when a simple year two types would have answered my question. He spent more time typing I should RTFM than he sh would have spent answering my question. It's this type of thing that bugs the new guys. I did spend time looking at the documentation. They're still writing a lot of it for Python 3. I couldn't see anything mentioning a do-while loop, but then again, I didn't spot anything saying there were only two types of loop. Instead of having a section for loops with two subsections, for and while, they had both for and while loops in completely different sections. So I wanted to make sure I didn't want to tell you anything that was wrong. 
and I thought hash Python would be a good place to ask, although apparently not. Oh, and I was also told to use Python 2.6. Alright, I'm sorry to go on about that, but that really bugged me. This is why people say bad things about Linux users. Oh, you're all smarmy looking down on other OSs. Let's be nice and try to help everyone. Say, yeah, there are two types of loops. Actually, if you look in the tutorial listed at website X, it tells you more about it. Don't just say, that question is answered in the tutorial, and then not even give a link to it. Apparently, there was a link in the topic of the room, but so were a million other links, so I didn't actually miss it. It scrolled off the page. <sighs> All right, rant over with. So let's make two programs to count to ten. Of course this can be done to higher numbers, but there's no point spamming your terminal with a count of numbers up to a million. Counting to ten will prove that it works. Open up test.py, or whichever file it was you will be using, and enter in there for x in range, that's just the word range, open brackets 1, 10, close brackets, colon, and then on the next line tabbed in, because it's part of the loop, print open brackets x close brackets. Save that and run the file by calling python3.0 test.py of course and remember to go into the code directory before running that. Notice that it counts up to 9. Welcome to the wonderful confusing world of programming. The range command counts up to but not including the final number. Now computers normally start counting from 0 or up so sometimes you do get odd things about this. If you wanted it to create 10 objects, you'll find they are numbered 0 to 9, in most programming languages anyway. But in this case, the range command, it simply does not make sense to me. 1 to 10 should be 1 to 10, but it is something to remember for the future. I'm guessing this command changed between 2.6 and 3.0, and this is why, but I don't know for definite. So let's go back and amend the code to read, for x in range, open brackets, 1, 11 close brackets, and then the colon and print x as before. Run that again and now it prints out 1 to 10 on the screen. Rather a silly program, but hopefully it demonstrates how the for and the range commands work. So if we wanted to write a program to add the numbers from 1 to 100, we now know how to do it. Although you can actually figure that one out in your head if you know the trick. There's a guy called Gauss figured that one out when he was a small boy, so the story goes. So for the next program we want to count up from 1 to 100, adding in the current number to a grand total. The code would be y equals 0, and on the next line the 4x in range, but say from 1 to 101, then the colon, and then add another new line in, but y equals y plus x, that's tabbed in again, and on the new line we can change the print x to say print y, but remove the tab so it takes it outside the loop. So here we set y to 0, and we have to do this to let Python know that y is a number, and then we run through the numbers from 1 to 100 and add it into the grand total. Note that we do y equals y plus x, because that says make y whatever y plus x is. This is quite cool, you don't have to have multiple variables this way, you can just say y equals y plus x, or y equals y plus y plus x, or however we want to do it. If we simply did y equals x, then of course if we don't add up all of x, y just ends up being 100, or the final number. Before you run the program, Gauss actually figured out that 1 plus 100 is 101, 2 plus 99 is also 101, 
3 plus 98 is 101, and so on until 50 plus 51. So you have 50 pairs of 101, and therefore adding up 1 to 100 is the same as 50 times 101. We can do that in our heads, get 50, 50, 5,050. Anyway, run the program and it should print out 5,050, which is quite cool. We can do the same thing using the while command, although as it's going to be from a fixed range, it's probably a little overkill, but to demonstrate it, y equals 0, x equals 1, while x is less than 101, colon, and then the next two lines are tabbed in, y equals y plus x, x equals x plus 1, and then the next line without the tab is print y, print open brackets y, close brackets. Notice that we're running whilst y is less than 101, not running until x is 100 or similar. I did mention this earlier, just in case x doesn't exactly stop on 100, which it should with this code. You don't get stuck in an infinite loop. This is just getting into good practice for when we have more complicated code and x may not go up by once. If you save and run this code, you should also get the answer 5050 again. Okay, now let's do a simple number sequence, Fibonacci. As you may already know, the Fibonacci series is a simple arithmetic progression, I think would be the phrase. Basically, you add in the two previous numbers in the sequence, and that makes the next number. So we start off with 1. The next number is the two previous ones, which is 0 plus 1, so it's 1. 1, 1. Now 1 plus 1 is 2, so 1, 1, 2. 3, 5, 8, 13, 21, and so on. So let's actually put a little bit of thought into this program. As programs become bigger, you will need to think more and more before you actually code them. You can just code them straight away, but if you put more thought into it, you can figure out better ways of doing the program. You can do the loops and things much better this way. So we'll presumably need three variables for the current number in the sequence and the two previous ones. We will output the results onto the screen, and we can loop around by adding up the numbers in the sequence. Something like x equals 0, y equals 0, z equals 1. That's z for all you Americans, z, z, English thing. While z is less than 100, semicolon, we want this to have a limit, otherwise it will run forever. Next line tabbed in, of course, x equals y. Next line tapped in, 1 still. y equals z. Next line still tapped in, 1. z equals x plus y. And the final line also still tapped in, print, open brackets, z, close brackets. Save it and run it, and notice the final number when printed is actually over 100, although we told it to run while it was less than 100. The reason for this, when you run through the loop for the final time, z is less than 100, and then we add x plus y to get a new z and print that out. So we increment z one final time and print it out. Also, if you noticed at the beginning, it didn't print out the first one in the sequence. It was 1, 2, not 1, 1, 2. Moving the print to the first command in the loop fixes both of these problems. So x equals 0, y equals 0, z is 1. Whilst z is less than 100, print z, and then x equals y, y equals z, z equals x plus y. This is an important point to make. It is also why I like to put the increment on the last line so you don't get odd things where you ask for a sequence up to 100 but get one number more than that and miss the first number. Also, remember that when we move the variables around, we have to go x, y, z from oldest to newest. 
otherwise it would mess the sequence up. If the x, y, and z lines were z, y, and x, the sequence would be broken because we would calculate the new number in the sequence and then copy it back to x and y. Now let's combine the Fibonacci program with asking the user where to start and stop. We can get the input from the user by using the input command, strangely enough. It is very similar to printing in that it outputs onto the screen text to tell the user what to enter, but you do have to set a variable to grab whatever the input. So let's modify the current Fibonacci program to ask for the starting and finishing numbers. So we keep x as 0 and y as 0. Then we add in the next two lines. z equals int, that's I-N-T, open brackets, input, open brackets, apostrophe, what number do we want to start from? Question mark, space, apostrophe, close brackets, close brackets. And on the next line, I equals int, open brackets, input, open brackets, apostrophe, and up to which number should we calculate? Question mark, space, apostrophe, close brackets, close brackets. We leave spaces after the end, after the question mark, so the user input doesn't actually touch this text as we print. doesn't matter anything to the computer, but it makes it a little easier for the user to read. And then we have, on the next line, while z is less than i, colon, so we amend the 100 to be i, and then print z, x is y, y is z, z is x plus y, as before. The int command here converts the string input into an integer, Else, when we try to add it, it gets confused because the input hands back text and you can't add text in as a number. Hopefully you'll see why I like Hungarian notation, not that I'm actually using it here, of course, because you get to mark what is text and avoiding adding strings together as integers. There is also an str, string command, to convert to a string. Okay, save and run the program, and it should ask you the start and end points to print out correctly. Probably. I don't actually clean any of the input here, so if you put anything that isn't a number, it errors. This is important to do, but I will not cover it just yet for this program. I will cover it later. As I mentioned before, though, we can do a quick while loop around it to run the check. So now, hopefully, we know all about variables, inputs, and outputs, and looping. These are actually probably the most used commands overall. There will be a few more, I'm sure, basically string formatting but they'll wait until another episode. Next week, we'll be writing a Game of Life program. You can wiki it for more information if you don't know. But basically, imagine a field of plants. You pick where the plants are sown, and then they grow following a few simple rules. If a plant has too few neighbours, it dies out from loneliness, and if it has too many, it dies out from overcrowding. If it has enough neighbours, it will live or a new plant will grow there. From these simple rules, some quite complicated things do happen. I will go over these rules in more detail next episode. The Hacker Public Radio glider, as it's known, the little dots logo, is actually from the Game of Life, but I'll explain this when we do it next episode. We will want to input text from the console to begin with, and then show on screen the life cycles. We'll look at reading and writing the information out to a file, as it would be too easy to typo when entering. We should also cleanse the inputs to make sure nothing old gets in there. We should probably ask for how many life cycles we show as well, else the program will run forever. And we'll require variables to handle the fields of the plants, and we'll introduce a new sort of variable called an array. Arrays are basically a collection of more than one variable, but we'll cover that next episode. Until then, 
If you want, you can try and play around writing a simple Game of Life program. You should have all the information you require to write the game now. Otherwise, you can simply wait for my next episode, where I will show how I would write the program. Thank you for listening. If you've got any questions, you can email me at zokosoro at gmail.com. That's x-ray Oscar Kilo Echo Sierra Oscar Romeo Uniform at gmail.com. Or you can visit me at zoke.org, x-ray Oscar Kilo Echo dot Oscar Romeo Golf. Thank you for your time, and you've been listening to Hacker Public Radio. Thank you for listening to Hacker Public Radio. HPR is sponsored by caro.net, so head on over to caro.net for all your hosting needs.